Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And that is true. I'm only as hip as my guest, but you know what? I'm getting hipper. I've got this new single-serve coffee combo from Cafe Valet. Their brewers are inexpensive. They're as little as $25 for a brewer and a 10-sample coffee pack, or just $20 when you use a discount code Cooper. Use all capitals. That looks cool. So C-O-O-P-E-R. So compared to other single-serve coffee systems, you can save up to 100 bucks because you know those other retail ones are so expensive. And I'll tell you, with Cafe Valet, I get a great tasting cup of coffee brewed in just minutes, just the way I like it every time. How's that for hip people? So go to CafeValet.com and use the coupon code Cooper for even and save more. That's CafeValet.com. And the coupon code is Cooper. You get this combo for just 20 bucks. And I'll tell you, people, it's some good coffee. And uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a big decaf drinker. And my, my guest today is uh, Robert Beltran. How you doing, Robert? Good. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not a decaf drinker, but uh, you, I like coffee, yeah. Are you a coffee drinker? Oh, yeah. Uh, you have been always been a coffee drinker? Yeah. Yeah, I've gone uh, through periods where uh, I didn't drink coffee for one reason or other, usually a diet or something. But, um, yeah, I, I enjoy coffee. I really do. Now I was talking to you before. Now this you grew up in you grew up in the California. Yes. And now you're one of ten kids. Yes. Now now when I was telling you earlier, my friend Colahans, there was nine of them, and there the first seven were boys, and then the last two were girls. Yeah. And if you're a guy wanting to date them, that's like getting through Fort Knox. Now <laughs> now where are you in the in the scheme? Well, out of the ten, I was born number seven. So I have three siblings that are younger than me, uh, six that are older. I have one older sister and one younger sister. So it's only two girls, eight guys. So the same thing. I mean, yeah, it's like- yeah. Oh, oh yeah, it was it was fun uh, watching their, you know, their dates sweat in the living room. <laughs> puddles of sweat after they would leave, you know. Um yeah, we used to have fun with that. Now you grew up in Bakersfield? Yes. Okay, now which is about what's about an hour and 15 minutes from LA? Yeah. Hour 45, yeah. Now, growing up in a, in a, a bigger family, I'm sure it, is that where you think you got your acting? Is that where you decided to go in this pace? Because I would think it's it's something on, on a family that big. You need to get some attention. Like my mom always said, the squeaky wheel gets the thing. When did you sit there? Was it a young age you decided you wanted to follow in this career or what happened? I th- I think so. I mean, it, it was uh, not overt. It was not an overt uh, influence. But I remember going to see uh, you know Ben-Hur and uh, with Charles, Charlton... Heston, and um, sitting right in between my older sister and my mom, and uh, watching them cry over the over the movie, and I was completely mesmerized by the chariot race and the whole thing. Right, um, so I I do remember having that thought that hey that would be that would be a fun thing to do, <laughs> but um, it, it it through the course of my childhood I really I liked playing sports I liked uh, I, I liked also singing I was always involved in the chorus and um, also the uh, drama doing theater so now when did you sit there and decide did you say you went to college did you decide to be a theater major when did you decide to sit there and go all right you know what this is what I want to do because it's it's a big thing to be a major in acting because you yeah. sit there and people go what are you, you majoring acting for? But, I mean, what was that like for you? And coming from a big family, did other people in your family go to college, or were you breaking the mode, or what happened? No, actually, my three older brothers were college grads. Um, they they went they got there through the uh, GI Bill. Um, so I had that precedent. But um, no, when I went to college, my my major was uh, political science. I was thinking maybe of and and with a maybe a, a, a a law minor in law. Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I thought maybe something in politics, um, maybe a lawyer. <clears throat> but um, the guy at the theater department, the head of the theater department at Bakersfield College, Dr. Robert Chapman, who was a great guy, um, he, we met because I, they were uh, my my first year at Bakersfield College. They were doing a production of Romeo and Juliet. I don't know if you've ever seen the Zeffirelli film, Romeo and Juliet, but it's an incredible film. And I was, um, I think I was in seventh grade when that film came out. I loved the sword fighting. <clears throat> and all the, 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 that film to me was um, uh, very influential. And so when I found out that they were doing Romeo and Juliet there at Bakersfield College, I wanted to audition to play Tybalt because he did all the sword fighting. 
So you that just that drew you to it. I mean, it's like I and that that would look like something that's really fun. Because yeah. it's just to be as an actor, you're like, wow, I get the fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um well, they were still having auditions for the lead, uh, Romeo and Juliet. So he saw me come in and he goes, great, you want to read for Romeo? And I said, no, I want to read for Tybalt because I want to do some sword fighting. <laughs> he said, um, you sure you don't want to read for Romeo? And I said, not really, no. <laughs> he said, well, hold on a second. So I was waiting in his office for about 20 minutes. He comes back with this beautiful blonde, I mean, I mean ravishingly beautiful and he says, well, uh, Barbara here is uh, reading for Juliet. Would you like to work on some scenes with her and just help her out? <laughs> so I said, oh, yeah, 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 I'll be happy to do that. So we worked on the scenes together and that language and that those scenes with Romeo and Juliet, working with her, uh, man, it was, it was a difficult thing to overcome. So, <laughs> well, I ended up playing Tybalt anyway, but... Um, because I just didn't have enough uh, the chops yet to do something like Romeo at that time. So, uh, but that was basically what happened. I, I forgot about sports. Um, actually, I was recruited to play football at a, a, a place called Porterville College. Porterville. Porterville, which is, is in Porterville, California. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know where, where is that. <laughs> it's about it's about forty five minutes, sixty minutes north of Bakersfield, hidden in this little nook in the. Uh, it's just uh, yeah. But um, they were turning out really good uh, college quarterbacks. So you could play two years at Porterville College, and a couple of guys that played went on to play uh, four year, you know, four year uh, like Colorado State. And so the coach called me up and he said, "Hey, you'll be my starter." But um, I I wasn't sure that I wanted to go to Porterville. Right. <laughs> and so I said, I, I I just said I'll take a year off and figure out what I'm going to do. And it was in that year that I really gravitated towards uh, the theater, and I was very much encouraged by the by the professors there. The theater department really encouraged me, so I never looked back. Well, it must be great. I always say, like you know, because you you were from Bakersfield, so it it wasn't a far trek to L.A. Like you know, I always sit there, you know, like people because I grew up near Philadelphia. And when I did comedy, you go into Philadelphia, you go into New York. You know, it's not a far thing. And for you, it's it's not it's not a major ride. I mean, acclimating, you can come down and check things out. And you probably had visited LA a bunch of times. Yeah, we did because my my mother's family was mostly living in Montebello, Pico Rivera, Whittier around there. But in in actuality, no, it was a it was a huge leap from Bakersfield to LA. I mean, there's two totally different cultures. Um, and so uh, LA was a was a whole it, it was like um coming and visiting from from bakersfield was like going to the circus or you know some uh, disneyland you know it was it was um kind of intimidating but at the time uh, at, at the same time kind of um attractive so you know it was a there was a big difference between east bakersfield especially where i grew up okay and and la so you decided to come down here you're coming down here to act yeah, I went to Fresno State. I I uh, majored in theater at Fresno State, and um, I actually came down here because I already had a, a job. I was going to do uh, I was doing a play with uh, Luis Valdez, who was uh, who directed and produced and wrote uh, Zoot Suit, the the play. And I was doing a play. He was uh, at the time he was preparing the screenplay for Zoot Suit, and he asked me to do a small role in it. That brought me to L.A. During the four or five days that I was working on Zoot Suit, I met uh, Paul Bartel, who was doing a film called Eating Raul. You know what's funny? I saw that in your resume. I remember that movie. Yeah. And, and I remember just because it was such a, a catchy name, and it was, I I think I, I rented, I probably rented it, because, you know, it, it was sort of in the beginning of, like, the indie art house thing, you know? Yeah. It had that flair. And I remember, God, it sounds cool, and I, I probably rented it on a, a on a VCR, like, the VCR, because yeah. I just remember it. So, so, you, so you, they wanted you to be in that? Well, yeah, I uh, I met Paul, and, uh, you know, I, I read for him and Mary Warnoff, who was the other lead, and uh, the writer, and I was, you know, it was really uh, just a great stroke of luck because I was cast, and um, at that time, I, so I had Zoot Suit and I had uh, Eating Raul. I didn't have an agent yet. 
because things happen so quickly. I didn't even know you needed an agent. I was, I was very uh, naive. Well, yeah, and most people don't come in Austin and do two movies. You know, it's like you know, it's like most people sit to go. They look around for a year for an agent. You're yeah, like, yeah. Well, I just I got this, and you're probably thinking this is how the business works. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And um, my friend, but my friend who was who had been, um, you know slugging around here in LA for a while said well you got to get an agent I said why why do I need an agent said, he explained it to me so he turned me on to his agent um, and so I walked in and she was uh, rather skeptical about this young guy coming in and she said well what have you done and I said well um, I have a film out right now called uh, Zoot Suit and I just finished doing Eating Raul and I play Raul she said sign here uh, we would like you <laughs> Wait, he has to work. Okay, we don't have to see what you do. Don't even read. Pass, go. Just yeah, sign here. Yeah, yeah. So right away, I came into L.A. I had those two jobs. I got an agent right away, which was um, not a big agency. So maybe I shortchanged myself a little bit. I think I could have probably parlayed that, that, those first two films into a bigger agency, but I didn't think about it. And uh, my ag- her, uh, her agency uh, was run by... The agency was run by Miriam Baum, who's a wonderful, wonderful uh, lady and great, well-respected around the industry. And so um, it worked out. You know, it just, I, I came in, I got a couple of jobs and uh, was was off and running. Now, what kind of jobs were you going out for? Because you, back then, Hollywood was different because you're, you're half Native American and half Latino, I believe. Well, you know, I'm I'm Mexican. Okay. And, you know, most Mexicans are, are some kind of hybrid between uh, a European blood and the Native American. So, yeah, that, that's me. What kind of, because it's, it's changed, like the, the industry has changed. There wasn't as many parts. What kind of auditions were you going out for then? I mean, was it something that now it's, it's changed? I know you play judges and you play like that. But back in the day and being younger, you know, back then, I, I hate to say, but white America wasn't used to seeing a latino figure on tv so it must have been hard i think sometimes for you know for you at that time to try to get different roles because people weren't used to it well yeah that's true however i you know i i was very lucky in that okay so so i went from um eating raul to a film called lone wolf McQuaid with with uh, chuck norris and i played his sidekick which was like the fourth fifth lead and then from there i went to um a miniseries called The Mystic Warrior. That was at the time when they were doing a lot of miniseries. You remember Thornbirds and... Uh, it was like every... It was, and it was an event. Yes. And they kept getting longer. Like yeah. they went from like, okay, we're going to do like a four-part miniseries to 18 weeks. And it's basically, <laughs> that's not a miniseries. That's a yeah. series. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they all starred Richard Chamberlain, you know. Yeah. It was just like... But this was... a. Uh, Again, you know, so lucky. I um, I took my friend to this audition for the Mystic Warrior, which is a six-hour miniseries. And as they were casting, they hadn't cast the lead, the Mystic Warrior, yet. So um, I took her, and I was waiting in the office for her to finish her audition. The casting director comes out, and he goes, "Okay, you ready to read?" And I said, well, "Oh no, I just I just brought my friend." And he says, "What do you mean? You're not reading?" And I said, "No." I, I he says, well, here, look at this. You want to read? And I said, yeah, sure. He says, take, take a look at this. <laughs> so 30 minutes, I, he gave me to, re- to look it over. I went and he read. He said, I want you to come back tomorrow. Uh, uh, my friend didn't, ha- you know, she, she. She's all pissed. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting a call back. Well, you drove me here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, as it turned out, I got the role. I, I mean, this was the lead in an ABC six-hour miniseries, right? Uh, we went up against Marco Polo and uh, another one that were running uh, on the three networks. We came in second. We beat Marco Polo, but I can't remember the third one. That w- oh, I think it was uh, Shogun. Okay, Shogun. Well, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think that was Richard Chamberlain. Chamberlain, yeah. <laughs> so you're, that's the thing. You're doomed back then if you went to a miniseries with Chamberlain. Even people who don't even want to see the show, they just want to see Richard Chamberlain. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, um, so you, you know, we're talking about how difficult it was uh, – I was very lucky, but I, I have to tell you that my friends that were Latino, they, they had a very difficult time, yes, definitely. Um, and then I went into Night of the Comet, and um, which was a, a kind of a cult film. Um, and, um, you know, it was just a great start, and uh, had I had a lot of credits that I could basically walk into uh, any audition and say, hey, uh, I want to audition for this. 
So you start, I mean, yeah, and then you started off, as I said, working a lot, which yeah. is great. And then now, then you, I saw you were on Models, Inc. How did that come up? Was that, I mean, I, I think I remember that show. I, I always watch all TV. Now, was that your first? A lot of good looking girls, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. See, that seems, seems to be your passage. You know, you had uh, Romeo and Juliet, Juliet, and then your girl who was up for Mystic World was probably good looking because any show called Mystic <laughs> Warrior has very good looking women on it. That's just, that's just, uh, that's just, if it says warrior, you know, there's going to be the, the good looking girl on the side. Yeah, the one that he's after. Exactly. Sure. So, so now, now, was that your first shot for being a regular on a series? Because I know you did, like, you did, you were lucky enough to do an episode of Murder, she, two episodes of Murder, She Wrote, which, yeah. you know, which was cool. So you're working, and was you're parlaying into TV now? Actually, what happened was I, I, I had, I did a series before that. It was called, uh, Veronica Clare. And this was for Hearst Entertainment. It was a cable show. I think it was on TBS, or I'm not even sure where it was, what show, what channel, or cable station it was on but uh, it ran for 13 episodes and i played kind of this uh, mysterious uh, humphrey bogart type character nobody really knew who he was but he had a lot of power and the lady veronica claire worked for him and she was his personal um, private detective and so it was that kind of you know kind of film noir thing but it only lasted 13 episodes that was before okay that was before models inc Models Inc. I just walked in and um, I forget the guy's name, the big producer of those shows. Models Inc. Nine hundred two one Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero. Spelling. Yeah, Aaron Spelling was there and about thirty other guys, you know. And um, I read for them, and then Aaron says, "Do you do you uh, do you want to do this show?" And I said, "Well, yeah, yeah, of course." He says, "Well, you know, we we." Um, he mentioned the lady that that was the lead on that Anne um, something. So sorry, I can't remember. That's right. <clears throat> but she had been on Dallas, and beautiful, right? And so I said, I said, look, I'd like to do this show just to, just to uh, have scenes with her. Right. And they all laughed. And so I was driving home, and uh, when I got home, I got the call that they wanted me to do the show. All right. So um, I did uh, ten episodes, the first ten episodes, and then. I auditioned for Star Trek Voyager, and uh, they wanted me to do that, so I left uh, Models, Inc. and went right into Star Trek. Which, if you didn't, the agent would have killed you, because it would have said, oh, yeah, wait, 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 you want to stay on Models, Inc. instead of going to a Star <laughs> Trek show? But yeah. now, when did you do Nixon? Because I know you had a part in Nixon. Yeah, well, you know, whenever I wasn't doing uh, a TV thing, I was trying to do films, and actually, Oliver Stone... Oliver Stone called me out of the blue because um, I did. A, I was going to do a project with him that fell through with Al Pacino, and it was basically about uh, Manuel Noriega, the, the Panamanian dictator, right? And um, we even had readings, you know. And I was going. I was like the fourth lead, uh, but when the thing fell through, and I don't know why it fell through, except that maybe Al realized he was probably not good casting for Manuel Noriega. Right. <laughs> <Hoo -ha! laughs> I love Al Pacino. He's a great actor. In the readings, he was doing things, saying things, uh, you know, it, it's just reading, you know, but it was very funny because he'd say things like, uh, reading from the script, you Americans, you're gonna be, you're making me very pissed off, man. I'm gonna get you guys. You know, and it was just like way over the top. And I was, but that's Al Pacino. So it was like, you know, he was gonna get it right eventually. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, it fell through. So when Nixon came around, um, Oliver Stone called my age and said, we want Robert to play um, Sturgis. Jo jo John Sturgis? Yeah, John Sturgis, who was one of the Watergate plumbers, right? He was just a, just a really intriguing Cuban guy that was uh, in the shadow government for years, you know. And so uh, that's how I got Nixon. Um, it was not a it was not a big role, but I I always wanted to work with Oliver. Yeah, and what's that like? Like as an actor, you know, you sit there and you know he was he's such an influential act uh, director. I mean, he's just something, and you know, and this was after Platoon. I mean, this was after his. I mean, you know, it's and it yeah. was still it was it was one of those things. Well, one, you're playing someone who's real, like yeah. you're playing a real person, which yeah. is and everyone a lot of people they're all different about work you know some people hated nixon some people loved i mean it's a thing but what's it like Did, to work? were there people that loved him i oh, guess there, i guess oh yeah there's, there's extreme people, right guys there I was guess. some people yeah who yeah. oh yeah that, I, don't, I don't think he was you know like oh no, i don't think he did anything <laughs> well he just can be clear no he didn't do it no. yeah but now now what was that like working with someone like with oliver stone even though you've done table reads and then actually 
being there as an actor, that must just be a great experience because you are working with a heavy hitter. Yeah. Well, you know, it was, uh, he's, he's so, he was so focused that um, when we did scenes, very little direction, very little, uh, you know, he casts very well. So um, uh, there was a scene that I had with Ed Harris that I really, really enjoyed. Um, but the other ones were with a lot of other guys. And so it was like, uh, you know, let's, let's hurry up and do it, you know. <laughs> and And so it was not, there was not a lot of time for me on the set to be able to observe him as much as I would like to have. But um, uh, always um, so focused. That's that's the main thing that, that came to mind when I was watching him was that his focus was incredible. Now, Star Trek. Now, you said, you know, you were models, and then they said, now, did you have to audition for Star Trek? Was it a whole process, or did they call you, or, or what happened? And as an actor, you must sit there and go, okay, it's a Star Trek series. As an actor, you know that's going to be you're gonna have a few seasons. It's not they don't sit there and go, We'll do one. I mean as an actor that must be was it were you you must have been excited and how did you go into the audition? Well, I wasn't excited at all because I'd never watched Star Trek. Honestly. I I just never I, I, I was not uh, a big fan of science fiction. A couple of science fiction movies I really liked. Like uh uh Odyssey was it uh, Space Odyssey? Yeah, um, Hal. Well no Space Odyssey two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. Um and uh, the day the Earth stood still, that kind of weird '50s uh, movie, and uh, a couple of other ones. But my agent just called me out of the blue and and said, "Robert, are are you? Uh, do you have any Native American in you?" And I said, uh, "Look, man, I'm Mexican. Uh, in order to get me, some European had to come over here and rape." A Native American woman, and I am the result of that. Right. So yes, you can say that I am. Your age is probably. I just asked a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 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 is that a yes, Robert? Yeah. He says, well, we have this thing, um, Star Trek Voyager. The, the this is the pilot script. We're going to send it to you. Take a look at it. I I read it. And I loved it. I loved the character. I liked. I thought this the two part, uh, the two hour pilot was terrific. And so I went and read for them. I, I went back, and then, um, again, driving home, when I got home, there was a message to call my agent. They said, they want you. So I got the role. It was one of the easiest things that ever came, uh, ever came through, uh, went through to get the role. So now you get the role, and it's going to change you, because I've, I've had other people who have been on Star Trek, I mean, they're the most, the, the most fanatical fans and amazing fans. Yeah. So you get the role, and now was it, did they say, okay, it's for one season or what was the blueprint where did you think it was going to lead you well we ended up here for what, six it, years i didn't have to uh, make any kind of conjecture or you know, they told us it's going to go seven years so they told you straight out like straight so, up. so as an actor you must be like this is awesome i'm i'm going to be yeah it's yes. like i'm employed for seven years yeah. i mean unless i do something bad yeah or unless i die yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so so what was it like going on the first day of set because you are stepping into a franchise somewhat of a legendary show with rabid fans. Well, check this out, Steve. I walk. I walk into my trailer. All of us had our own huge trailers, right, right next to each other on the Paramount lot. And being on the Paramount lot is like walking into into movie history, right? And it was only like twenty minutes from my house. Um, so I walk into my trailer, and there are huge boxes. And I'm asking the AD, well, what are these? Oh, that's fan mail. Fan mail? I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> and so I started reading some of them, and they were all like, hey, welcome to the Star Trek franchise, you know, and uh, we, we, we love you, and uh, can you send me an autographed picture? And it was like, oh, my God, it was amazing. I had people coming over, um, you know, uh, trying to get a job. Just He said, look, Robert, you're going to be really busy. And you're going to need somebody to sign these autographs for you and, and answer the fan mail. And uh, this is what I charge. And so there was this whole cottage industry all this around. Is, this is before you're even on. I haven't even, I haven't even taken off my clothes yet. To, <laughs> you know, right? So, uh, <laughs> so uh, it was kind of disconcerting to have all these people. They were like vultures, you know. There was a whole cottage industry of people that could make money off of actors, Star Trek actors specifically, right? So um, 
it was it was a huge uh, I, I knew I was walking into something when I told my friends that I had just been cast in Star Trek and they went bonkers you know they were like wow Star Trek I love that show blah 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 you know everybody everybody and like I said for me it was like I was oblivious to most of it because I just it was not in my my personal radar you know I just didn't pay much attention to it um and little did I know what I was walking into <laughs> and you know we, so we we started filming and they, there was the whole fiasco with Kate Mulgrew and um uh, what was her name um god she's such a great actress she was the original captain she only she didn't last very long and they replaced her with Kate Mulgrew so uh, there's a lot of interesting things happening and um you know, uh, the other actors on this show were going to these conventions and talking to me about these conventions. And, hey, they pay you a lot of money. You just have to go there and sign for hours and hours. And then, and I was like, I don't want to die. I'm not too crazy about doing that. I was the last one on, on our show to go to a convention. Okay. Uh, it took me about a year and a half. And uh, then I realized that they're just, they're, they're fans, yes, but they also really just like a place to congregate at these conventions and drink and party that's the main attraction <laughs> it's a party man you know i can imagine i've seen the yeah. movies like the different movies uh, about the, the star trek fans but i was thinking just think now though because you this was back in uh what, 95 to 2001 just think how the experience would be different if you were on that show now with all the social media i mean it would probably be you would just been constantly i mean you're bombarded by email but, i mean regular mail but i mean you know who i mean it takes a devout person to sit there and actually send because it's not like now you can go online okay we're okay we can where's paramount studio blah blah blah, blah. you had to sit there and, and you know you lived in new jersey you'd have to be like okay well how do i find because you wouldn't know do you ever think about how it would have just been more of a whirlwind if there's social media back then uh i think so yes I think so. Um, I mean, it, it, the whole internet age was coming, just getting started, you know, around that time. I didn't even have, didn't even have a computer until about uh, 99. You know, was my, somebody convinced me that I should have a computer. I seem to be doing okay without it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yes, I think, I think if it was happening now, all of that would be true. But the other thing is, that the horrible thing is, they could easily have just two or three regular actors who are getting all the money, and everybody else would be uh, regarded as um, part-time, or what do they call them? Uh, day, recurring, day, recurring characters. Or day players. or Yes, or, no, recurring characters in that instead of doing 26 episodes a year, you would only do, say, 20. And that's how they could, and, and so the pay scale goes down gradu uh, drastically, you know, uh, between a, a recurring character and a regular character. So that's what they do nowadays. I mean, it's it's just amazing how, you know, in every series, the two top two or three actors are getting good money. Everybody else is getting scale or or maybe just above. I've heard that. And I've also heard that back, back, you know, when you were a guest star, you got, you know, you got paid well. And, yes. And now, but now the guest stars are people. Before a guest star was like, when you're starting, not starting out, but you're getting the breaks. You're getting so all of a sudden, you know, you could do six guest stars and, and you can make a very good living. Yeah. That. But I've heard now a lot of times the guest stars is someone who had a series that just ended. So they put them in as a guest star and they're not making the same money. And I've heard also what, which is, and it, it, this sucks about Hollywood is the fact that a lot of times now, if you're a day player or you're going, if you're not or, or recurring or whatever, they try to shoot give you a really long day so they have yeah. to pay you for one day yeah. instead of sitting there going you know you know and that's when i said that i always go you know what i hope those guys go into golden time just because it gets that <laughs> kicks the producer in the nuts but so now, now how yeah. did your life change though with star trek <laughs> like i i just gotta imagine because you you go from a guy who's been acting and has been consistent in good pictures been in some art house pictures work with oliver stone was it even you know models it was an aaron spelling series you had another series you had a mini series yeah but how does that all prepare you? Because your life must have changed overnight, just from not as an actor standpoint, but just by notoriety. Yeah, the notoriety is the biggest change. You can't walk into a, a supermarket and go shopping without somebody or several people 
looking over your shoulders to see what you're buying. Right. You know, um, and so, uh, and not just in the United States. I mean, we're talking about the UK. We're talking about uh, Germany. Um, and even in some of the Latin American countries that I worked in doing films, <clears throat> they, um, it, it's just amazing how popular that franchise is. And, and so, I mean, I, I've run into a few crazies. Um, like, like, what is something like, like, what? Let's give me a crazy story, because I always like, I always like to hear, you know, not like, you know, like crazy, like, but I mean, what was like a crazy story where you sat there and went, "Wow, man, I didn't sign up for this," because there's got to be some <laughs> stuff where you sit there go, and on the bottom line, I think as for you, you, you probably just want to say, "Hey, man, I'm only an actor. You know, this, this is, this is my job. Okay, I'm not this guy. I'm not." I'm not from another from the future. Have you ever had like people who just sit there? Because you know how you always hear people that are just nuts that they'll sit there and they they think someone's like, well, no, he's really a football player, and they'll they'll tackle him. You know, it's like that. <laughs> you know, is there what are some of the weird stuff that happened when you were like just some crazies? Well, there was. I remember once I was signing autographs at a convention. And, you know, it's like a, an assembly line. You know, hundreds of people walk through. They give you your photo. You sign them. And you barely have time to say, nice to meet you, you know. But, you know, I, I was starting to notice um, a, a lot of people coming to more than one convention. And I would, uh, I'm very good with faces. And so one time I was, um, there was this one girl that kept coming to these things. And I never really talked to her. Uh, the, about the fourth time I was signing my picture again and I said to her I signed on the picture I said glad to see you hope to see you again Robert Beltran right I gave it to her she looked at it and she says oh this was in Germany right oh you want to see me again <laughs> and I said well uh, yeah yeah you know if you come to another convention I, I recognize you and she goes oh oh and she turns to her friends and she's elated right he wants to see me again and she's running off right well two months later i'm in my house in the afternoon um and uh i hear the doorbell ring i go to the doorbell i go to the door open it and there she is standing on my porch <laughs> hello robert you you said you wanted to see me again here i am <laughs> What's a, what do you do in a situation like that because because one is in inside your head you're going okay psycho but then on the other side for the capacitor side you go oh my god this girl flew over and took the time to find my address yeah yeah it, it it's it's equal parts compassion and and rage you know right. <laughs> i just had to i just had to patiently explain to her that uh, just because i said i hope to see you again doesn't you don't you don't take that literally you know um and and um, you you know you're invading my this is this is my home and it's not a convention and I didn't personally invite you to my home right so you must understand that it's a violation of <laughs> you know, of my privacy she goes well I think I understand what you are talking about okay well goodbye and she was off that's that's so random and that's like but that, and the one thing where you're like oh that sucks but then you're like you know that's pretty cool. Like most guys are like, man, that must be. Pretty. And I guarantee every guy goes, "Well, was she good looking?" <laughs> you know how guys are. <laughs> well, you know, they crazy is not uh, is not. Um, uh, you know, crazy is also uh, not so good looking women and very good looking oh, yeah. women. You know, it's just now. Now, when you're on the show and you know you know it's going to be for seven years. Now, as an actor, how do you sit there to do? You, do you have communication to make sure that your character can grow or do you sit there? I mean, I, I think that it's one, it's a great thing to have a seven year run, but then all of a sudden if you got yourself in the middle of like the third and a half year and your character wasn't really growing or doing arcs as an actor, it would probably be frustrating yeah. knowing you're going to be there. What was it like for you knowing that you, I mean, knowing that you were fortunate enough to have the seven years and knowing that you could do the conventions, but then as an actor, you sit there and go, I don't want to, not that you would get typecast because it's just, but people, you know, like, like look at, uh, um, John Luke Picard. Uh, what? Uh, Patrick Stewart. Yeah, like you know, there are people. There's a lot of people who you know don't know his other parts. They just yeah. know him as that role. Did you ever fear that as an actor, saying, "I hope I just don't get people just don't think of me as this person"? Because I I know after seven years, this is my craft. This is the love. I'm going to have to go on, and I want to get different parts. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I started 
Voyager, I, I was uh, 41, 42 years old, so I, I wanted to do a series at the time just for the for the future to, to put, put money in the bank, you know, and, and have it there for until I retire. Um, so that was good. When, when you do seven years, um, you know, the first two years are, there's a kind of novelty about it. <laughs> the last five, there's nothing new, you know. Uh, so no matter what episode they came up with, <clears throat> nothing surprises me. Nothing, because I, I know, even if I die in the, in the episode, I know they're going to bring me back, right? Because right. you can do that in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> you, can just, you can just disappear right? and then come back. Oh, wait, yeah, he's going to We found his molecules. We put them all together, you know. We just have to get that one eye, and he, you know, then he's he's back. But um, yeah. So and then we had a change of producers. We had a change of writers, and then we had a change of one of our regulars, um, the girl who played Kess, uh, Jenny, Jenny Lean. She was uh, replaced by Jerry Ryan, you know, who played Seven of Nine, and so the story arcs started changing and. Um, Honestly, I was really bored from like season four to four, five, and six, just bored out of my mind. And um, um, because they, they really weren't concentrating on my character at all, they would come up with an episode here and there, you know. <clears throat> but mostly I was on the bridge saying, uh, right, Captain, or, you know, Captain, enemy ship's approaching, you know, something like that. Captain, got to go to the bathroom, be right. back in 20 minutes, okay. whatever. But um, that was about it. Um, and so, you know, in a way I didn't mind because I had more days off, but in the other, other thing, just as my, my artistic sense, uh, my sensibilities as an, as an artist were just kind of, um, I was a little frustrated, definitely, you know, so, uh, the, the, and the, the writers, uh, you know, you can build up a relationship with the writers, but it takes time, and it takes a lot of time. And you gotta, you gotta go out to lunch with them. You gotta, you know. And I don't have time for that. Right. You right. know, and, and they don't pay me to write. Th that's your job, you know. So, you know, I had I had one meeting with with all the head writers um, before one of the seasons, and uh, they said, "Well, Robert, what would you like us to do with Chakotay?" And I said, "I don't know. You guys, you're the writers, you know." And they said, "Well, is there a special like um, um, thing that that Chakotay would do if he? It, you know, what, what was what that? What's that program that they used to have where you could go in and go into a different world? I forget the name of it. Uh, uh, Quantum Leap? No, 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 no. It was on. It was Star Trek. But you would you, the the characters could go in there and live in this world. It was called. Um, oh, I, I I can't think of it right now. It's yeah. Uh, so you could do that, and it was like a recreation." And so they asked me, what, do, what would you, what would you do? And I said, well, if I was Chicote, I would, uh, you know, I would go in and I would be the quarterback for the New York Jets in 1968 and take him to the Super Bowl. You know, and they go, well, we can't do that. I was, I was okay. Well, then I would be Roberto Clemente, right. 1960 uh, Pirates, and I would, you know, take him to the World Series. No, we already did a World Series uh, baseball thing with whoever. And um, I said, well, I'm out of, I'm out of uh, ideas. Because I just don't think in terms of science fiction because it seems like everything is available. And so how do you... See, yeah, it's like you can write anything. Yes. It's like you could say, hey, okay, you know, you can't be Clemente, but you can be an ice cream man. You yeah. Can, and I, but that's the thing you can... There's, that's, there, there's no limitation. And I think for creatively, it's sort of like, well, you know, you want a limitation because you want it to be real. Yeah. And, but but we think that way. I'm not a big science fiction person either. That's how we think. We, yeah. we want to see something. We can have our expander and we can just, you know, change things. But I want to sit there and go I, a little realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, 12 hours on the set, I really don't want to have a two-hour conversation with the writers uh, on my days off telling them what I want for my character because that's their job, first of all. And I did call them occasionally. Uh, the first two seasons, I had a great relationship with Jerry Taylor, who was one of the writers, and, and Michael Piller. But they left after the second season. And um, I was able to give a lot of input about what I would like to see happen with the character, and they were very, very receptive. Um, 
but after that, uh, it seemed like they just didn't have much time, you know, or they didn't think my ideas were any good, so I just quit doing that. Um, so there was a lot of frustration, definitely. Um, uh, but it seemed like, you know, seasons four, five, and six were really, really long. The other ones seemed really short, so um, uh, the seven years uh, went by pretty quickly. How do you keep your How do you keep your uh, game face? I mean, basically, when you're going in, and as you said, you feel a little stagnant. I mean, you, but you have to deliver because one, you're an actor. Yeah. Two, I'm sure you take a pride in your work. Of course. But three, I mean, was it hard sometimes when you sit there and go, oh, you know, I mean, I gotta do this again. You know, I gotta. It's like I, you know, I know what I'm gonna do because by by after a few years, you have to know that character, and that character is pretty much you. You have to know it inside out. But is it ever, was it ever hard to sit there and go, man, I gotta? It'd be like you know, be like a, I always think. I mean, I'm a big football fan, so you know, like when the Eagles, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. When their season's over, it's like you're going into the last game. You know, we all and well, the last game. Thank God they got rid of Chip Kelly. But you're going to that 15th game with Chip Kelly, and you're going. We have no chance, or you know, to make the playoffs because we lost to this. But you gotta put a performance because it's your job. But I mean, did, was it hard sometimes? Because you you had to put your game face on, and you knew you were on a winning product. But you just if you're feeling a little lethargic, I mean, how do you do that as an actor? Murder, man. It was murder. Um, it was really really tough because people don't realize that when you're doing seven years and you've got to knock off twenty six episodes a year, actually ten and a half months, twenty six episodes. It's a factory. You're working in a factory, and I've worked in factories. Not very much difference, except it's not. It's not real tough manual labor, right? It's, it's, it's a different kind of uh, fatigue that you get. 12, 10, 12, 13, sometimes 14 hours on the set, you know? Um, and then when you read this, your, your episode for that, you read your scenes from that episode, um, and it's, you know, three scenes on the bridge and that's it, you know? And your lines are, Captain, enemy ship approaching. Captain, uh, you wanted to see me? You know, uh... And you're waiting all day to to be to say, Captain, you wanted to see me. Uh, and you've yeah. done it so many times, yeah. it's like second nature. Yeah. But the thing, Steve, is that the guys that we that in our cast were, we became very close friends, and um, we enjoyed we uh, we had fun doing it. And so, if it wasn't for the fact that we had a great crew and a great cast that got along for the most part. Um, and we enjoyed, nobody took it so seriously, right? Uh, we knew that it was a, a job. Um, we had a lot of fun doing it. And so you just you just, you just just enjoy the fun part of it and, and you know, slug through, slog through the, the other stuff. Now, you know, so you knew it was going to be seven seasons. So now you're coming on season six and then you're starting on season seven. What's your feeling? I mean, one, as you said, you know, you are tired of doing it but then also on the other side i'm sure you and you said you became friends with the guys and and the crew you come very close to the crew it's like a second family yeah is it like a bittersweet feeling because you're like i'm gonna miss these guys but i'm glad i'm going away or i mean how do you feel as and as as you're winding down that last season all of a sudden going okay you know what and you know you're always going to get work and you if you know if let's say if there wasn't acting you could do a ton of conventions so you know your life has changed. Yeah. But were you sitting there at one point going, you know what? I'm I'm sort of I'm I'm gonna miss it, but I'm I'm also I'm glad I'm moving on. That's exactly how I felt. And I think all of us did. Um it was time to move on. Um uh, you know, as much as we liked working with each other and the crew was great, um the storylines were starting to get repetitive, you know, and um, not a huge challenge in the scenes that you were given. So, and, and, you know, even during the seven years, I, on my uh, hiatus, I was I was doing other things. I was doing films here and there, you know. I think the first three seasons I did a film during my hiatus and I essentially never had a hiatus those first three years. The first four, I, I really wanted my hiatus, so right. <laughs> I wasn't really seeking other things to do, you know. I just wanted my, my ten weeks of vacation. Um, and so, yeah, the seventh season came along. <clears throat> I, the thing is, we were all wondering, how is this thing going to wrap up? We're, we're still lost in space. Um, we were getting to the 20th episode, and there was still no indication of what was going to happen with us. The 21st episode, and they were starting to hint that maybe Chakotay and Seven of Nine were going to get together. Um, how they wrapped up 
the this this the Voyager story I think pretty much to to a person on the in the cast we we just hated the way they did that it was like they couldn't get rid of us fast enough because they had um, Rick Berman and 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 Braga uh, Brandon Braga they had the new show coming up already uh, Enterprise and that was their baby this was still Rottenberry's uh, project right this was still under the auspices of of uh, Gene Roddenberry we were the last uh, uh, Star Trek series with Roddenberry's name at the top. This next one was going to be Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, and they could not wait to get rid of us. You know, so how they, and I think that that was evident in the way they just kind of wrapped it, everything up, and um, that was it. You know, it was a um, very, very uh, distasteful feeling about how they handled the whole thing, and the fans were not happy. Nobody was happy with it, really. So now that's done. Yeah. You're done. You're done with Voyager. It's seven years of your life. You've, you know, you've changed your life. I mean, as if people from Germany are showing up at your doorstep. You know? <laughs> now what do you do? Because it's like you sit there. It's like you, you've, you know, for so many people, what you've done is like the dream gig. Like there's some, you see it on Facebook, the Star Wars comes out. If, you're, if you if you got cast in a Star Wars fan, honestly, I I could I, I haven't seen a movie. I, I don't even know if I'll rent it. But you know, there's people like that. Like for you, that was like, you had like the best job. And if you're like, probably, oh, he is like little kids going, oh, when I grow up, I want to be like Robert Belcher. I need the best <laughs> job ever. What do you do as an actor? Because you, you came from a franchise, you've hit a level, and but you're, feeling that you probably feeling that you know your creativity was towards the end you weren't being able to create up enough do you sit there and just go you know what okay that's done i don't have to worry about working okay i i have money yeah, yeah. i can do what kind of projects you start looking for because you probably have to want to stimulate stimulate that that creative part of your mind where you said as you said when you're saying captain is coming you know after a while you get tired how do you what do you where do you go what do you sit there and go what do you want to work on yeah well um, honestly, after after the last season, um, I found it hard to get excited about anything uh, as far as a, a project. I spent two years just going, um, just sort of, um, and, and I'd never had that feeling before where I was just indifferent to work. And I, I because I think the seven years on, on the series just kind of sucks you. It, it it really, I haven't since then I haven't been able to sleep very well, uh, because uh, you know getting up at five one day, getting up at seven, getting up at noon to be a, and, and nights. I mean, for seven years your whole your rhythm, the rhythm of your life is totally at uh, at the mercy of the the schedule on Star Trek, right? So um, I, I was really drained emotionally physically everything and so the first two years after star trek i was just kind of i think i was maybe uh going through some kind of um uh, i guess what they what they call um uh, depression maybe you know uh i don't know i mean it wasn't ever suicidal or anything uh, acute depression like that but it was just kind of uh i don't want to do anything i i, I just kind of lost this this the um, drive to do to act to be an actor, and that really scared me because I'd never had that feeling before. So I thought, okay, you need a project, and what you've got to do is a play because I've always loved the theater. That's always been my first love, and so I did my my own production of uh, Clifford Odette's play called The Big Knife, and that revived me. That was like 2003. That revived me and got me going again and, and uh, inspired again to do some acting and do some projects. Uh, um, <clears throat> the other thing that happened was that during the seven years on Voyager, the industry changed totally. I mean, that's when the whole, the whole concept of the top two actors get all the money, everybody else gets crap, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> so I didn't have to deal with that those seven years. I did have to deal with it after that. And a lot of the casting directors that I knew first coming up were now gone. Agencies had been conglomerated into, I mean, you know, the whole thing was conglomeration. Right, and, right. You know, it's corporate, you know, everything was corporate. And it, it was not a very friendly business anymore. Um, it used to be that you could go to parties and you'd, you'd, you'd see your agent there, you'd see big agents, you'd see producers, and you're talking about things. And it was... Um, 
a, a real uh, fraternity, you know. Not anymore. It seemed to me like uh, everything was very cold and and uh, cut and cut and dry. You know, take it or leave it. That was the thing that my agents always used to say to me after an audition. They want you, Robert, but they can only give you this much. And I said, Well, I uh, I don't want it. Uh, uh, and I would say, Well, they have to give me more, or I'm not going to take it. And the word back was, Well, he can take it or he can leave it, right? And this is what they were telling actors with bigger names than me. Um, and that's how much the the industry had changed from uh, for me after 2001. I had to get reacquainted with these new casting directors and these new producers, and uh, was not a real friendly uh, environment anymore. And so, in trying to get my own projects off the ground, really difficult. Uh, to this day, I've never been able to get a, a project off the ground. Um, Nobody wants to depart with their money, you know, and um, they're not interested in uh, sort of high-end art, artsy films, which is what I'm interested in. Um, so, and then, uh, you know, in a way, you're kind of locked into the science fiction thing because it turned out that the Sci-Fi Channel wanted me for a gazillion things, right? Right. Because that's what I'm, I've been doing for the last seven years. And you don't want to do that. You want to change it, but it's work. Well. It, if you could give me a good script, right, <laughs> I would consider it. But you know, uh, some of the stories that I would get—I mean, it was just outrageously, uh, you know, just beyond. Uh, I couldn't understand why they would want to do this. But there were a couple. Uh, there were a couple of sci-fi films that I did <clears throat> because I liked the the story, and um, uh, I was doing uh, doing a lot of theater. Also, catching up on doing some theater and. Uh, so and then you know doing doing a recurring role on the big on Big Love the HBO thing, um, but it it had really changed, and um, we're not very friendly and and so you know now I'm in my fifties and it's it's harder to get work when you're older right, um, and I you know I had this I bought my house and I bought my house because I thought. Eventually, I'm gonna get. I want to get married, and I want to have children, and this is where they will grow up, you know. And uh, I, I that happened to me uh, when I was 57. I got married, and I had a child, uh, my daughter. I'll give you credit, man. I mean, sitting there, it's like I mean, I'm 52. My girlfriend's 49. We're not gonna have kids, just because you know we're older. Yeah. But I sit there and I think I go, man. Like I have friends who had kids. Like a friend of mine had a kid. He's my. He's a year older than me. He had a kid five years ago, and he's like. Sometimes I sit there and go, man, I I don't have the energy because we forget we get tired. You know, yeah. you, you sit there. I, I find myself falling asleep on the couch at like eight thirty. I, I was watching TV last night and I fell asleep. I don't know what happened to the end of the X Files. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God I did. I hope my girlfriend didn't erase it because I, I I I fell asleep. Yeah, yeah. So, well, luckily, uh, you know, there was uh, my wife is um, she she just t- turned thirty six. She's much younger than I am, <laughs> but. I find that uh, having having my daughter it, it it does energize me, and I really love I love uh, being a, a a father a husband. Um, it it just makes life um, richer and fuller for me. I really really enjoy that, and um, you know I, I I there are times when I wish I was working, but then what I think about well what would you be working on you know and how much would you be getting paid. When I think about some of the things that have been offered to me, you know, I can make that I can make much more than that doing a three-day convention. So, do I want really want to do a guest starring role on this show, uh, where the the role is usually a, a Mexican mafia guy, you know, the bad guy, uh, who uh, you know, just one-dimensional. You will you will do what I say, <laughs> or I will kill you. You know that sort of thing. Uh, <clears throat> so better better to skip on that and just you know go to a convention you know whatever um, so and, and that's really one of the reasons why I wanted to do a series when I was in my 40s because I didn't want to be at the mercy of uh, you know scrambling for work in my 50s and my 60s so you know it was a great great thing that I was able to do seven years on Voyager. And up to that, up to Voyager, I was a pretty successful actor. Right. Um, and uh, so now I'm able to weather, you know, 
long time without work, uh, and, and I don't mind it. And it must be great, too, because, you know, you can spend time with your family and your daughter, and, you know, you can see her grow up and enjoy that, where if it happened when you were on the series, it wouldn't have been the same. Oh, man. But then it's also great that you know that at any time, if you sit there and go, hey, you know what, I, I, that's a, I like that car. You can sit there and book a few conventions. Yeah. Now, I mean, are the conventions still fun? I mean, I mean, it's like because you're 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 an object of adulation. That must be like I don't think that could ever get tired. <laughs> I mean, because we're all egotists. Let's get real. Yeah. Well, it is. Uh, it is. But you know, at the same time, it's kind of like playing uh, playing goofy at Disneyland. You're right. being goofy at. It doesn't matter who's playing goofy, as long as it's recognizable you know so um no i mean the the conventions are great because um it also gives gives you a chance to to meet the fans and and the fans are great i mean 99.9 percent of the fans are terrific and um you know you get to some of them have become friends of mine and um you know you just meet so many interesting people um and so it's it's not just taking the money and running. It's it's uh, it's really um, being a part of something that people really really uh, for some for some reason it means something meaningful. It's meaningful in their lives. The 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 show. I mean, I've had people write to me saying how how they their lives were changed by this episode. You know, um, and and that's fine. If that's if 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 I've been a positive influence in that way, that's great. Um, so uh, there's a lot of, um, upside to have been on, on Star Trek. And now, because with all like, you know, the, the net, all the way you can people see stuff, you know, now there's kids who will see you that years ago, they never could have because you, you couldn't really get them serious. That's just, you have a whole, probably have a whole new crowd coming to whole, you too. It, that's exactly right. A whole new generation. Um, because uh, so many of them tell me. You know, we used to, my dad and I, or my family used to watch uh, Voyager over dinner. You know, we'd, we'd have dinner and watch Voyager. So many people used to tell me that. And, and that so that's a family thing. You're, you're invited into the family, you know. So uh, that's a very powerful dynamic going on there that, that uh, I don't take lightly. Well, that's good. We only have a few minutes left. And uh, Let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, God. Are you, well, who's your football team? Well, we got Chip Kelly. Oh, you're a Niner fan. Good, 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 good. Yeah, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to have Riley Cooper, the racist, coming on your team soon. Really? Well, the Eagles cut him, so you know he's going to go see Chip. You think he's racist, for sure? I don't know. He just dropped you know, Yeah, yeah, said, yeah. But he was over. They gave him a huge contract. And he, you know, I, overrated, I, my God. Okay, and so I, I want to see. I'm always thinking what Eagles cast-offs are going to go. If the Eagles get rid of Bradford, he's going to end up with Chip Kelly. Just get prepared. Cause, and I, I would like to see Kaepernick, even though I don't really like him. I like to see him come to the Eagles. But you know, but it's just crazy. I don't know. It's just the free agent thing is coming up soon. It's by the end of March. No, beginning of March, free agency is on. So I don't know. It's crazy. But I want I want to thank you for coming on. This is fun. And uh, you know, You're and hopefully your Niners will do good, and I hope the Eagles will do good. And you know, it's good. Well, you know, my Raiders they made a re- resurgence this year. Oh, with, yeah, yeah. With a Bakersfield quarterback, a Bakersfield kid. You guys, you guys, the Raiders uh, are looking good. Yeah. Too bad they didn't come down here. I just have to get used to uh, football down here in LA because they never lived here when there was a team. So. <laughs> Now, now, did you, know, do you tweet? Are you a Twitter guy? No, I, I, I mean, I have a tweet account, Twitter account. Um, I, I use it when I want to broadcast some something that I'm doing, you know, like a play or and what is it? Um, oh, good gosh! Well, just, just yeah, people yeah. Go search for Robert Beltran. Yeah. So, so I want to thank you for coming on. It was great to meet you. Thank you, Steve. And, great uh, to meet you. People also, so follow me on Twitter too. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Uh, remember. CafeValet.com. Put the uh, coupon code Cooper in. Use all caps. That looks cool. And so you get the $25 starter kit that comes with 10 coffees and the maker. And it's such an easy and a great, great product. You get that for $20. Uh, if you want to listen to my episodes, go to CooperTalk.net where I have over, uh, God, I have 477 episodes up there. So go to CooperTalk.net or you can email me, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. If you want to advertise, you can do that. If you want to send me a letter, you can do that. So Cooper at CooperTalk.net. Once again, Twitter is at Cooper Talk. iTunes Stitcher is Cooper Talk. And other my other website, StopTheSalt.com. You know, when I went through the health problems a few years ago, I, I wrote a cookbook, a low-sodium cookbook called Stop the Salt, 120 recipes, easy to make, no pictures to intimidate you, no major ingredients. If you don't have cumin in the house, 
Don't worry. I don't have any recipes with cumin. So go to that. <laughs> you can buy it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. But if you come to StopTheSalt.com, I make more money, and I'll sign it for you. And I won't put my address in return because I don't want people Germans showing up like they did at Robert's house. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so go go, go listen to coopertalk.net. I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, every week I'm trying to get you good guests. So remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. Vote for Bernie Sanders. And I will talk to you. I'm Bernie Sanders. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>